Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, then all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for September 13th, 2020. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Indeed, indeed. How nice to get together, so to speak. I remember my father, Reverend Guillaume Kubose, whenever he started his talk, especially after a meditation session, nice, quiet atmosphere. And you would say, it's so nice to be here together. Yeah. Uh, And another uh, Dharma colleague always used to talk about sharing life together. Um. And this is something we might take for granted, you know, sharing life together. Uh, another teacher talked about this in terms of invisible eyelashes. You know, we rarely see our eyelashes. We look out at the world, or we're always looking way out there. We can't, we don't see what's, you know, real close to us, our own eyelashes. Okay. They're invisible to us. Okay. But being in the present moment, experiencing the present moment fully, is something that needs uh, to be fleshed out in terms of its spiritual impact. I remember one time some years ago, I was part of a interfaith um, seminar, and during the question and answer period, these were... Um, the audience was was um, Presbyterian ministers and seminarians, and uh, one lady asked me, "Was was the Buddhist? You know, what what is a Buddhist? Were Buddhist? What is their anchor?" I had never heard the question expressed exactly that way. You know, somebody might say, "Well, what is the ma- main teaching in Buddhism, or something like this?" But so for Buddhists, what is the anchor? And I don't know where the answer came from, but I just said, oh, the present moment. 
and she nodded her head. And later on, when I was driving home, I was thinking about this, and I said, gee, how come I said the present moment? That doesn't sound like a very lofty, (laughs) you know, philosophical answer. But the more I thought about it to myself, I said, yeah, yeah, that has good implications, ramifications for the Buddhist anchor. Well, it was about 24 years ago, 1996. uh, The previous year I had uh, left the um, ministerial staff at my father's temple, the Buddhist Temple of Chicago, and wanted to do something different because uh, a temple, Buddhist temple, has a lot of things on its plate. You know, it, it has um, uh, as a social organization in the community and its congregation and a lot of things. So I wanted to form uh, something that was a little more focused and concentrated on my father's contribution uh, to Buddhism in America. And and it was in the spring of 1996 that he and I, in Chicago, we took the elevated train. They call it the L for elevated. And we took it downtown. We were on the north side called in a neighborhood called Uptown, as opposed to downtown, the center of the city. And Scott was laid out with the center of the city being downtown and and then in the four directions, every block is, you know, the address is increased by by 100. So the first block, you know, the addresses start and go up to 199 or something like that. And then 200 is the second block. We were 4,600 blocks north, north side in Uptown. So we took the elevated train. And the way that this uh, these trains work is when it approaches downtown, which is the most you know congested area, uh, it goes underground and becomes a subway. And so we got off uh, LaSalle Street and we went to the Secretary of State's office and we got the paperwork to incorporate ourselves as a religious educational nonprofit organization. And then about 14 years after that, we decided that, well, we're going to uh, start a lay ministry study program. Now, we had existed at that time for 10 years as a religious education organization. We started our newsletter. We got organized. We, you know, reached out uh, educationally and outreach to let the Buddhist community know of our existence and so forth. And after 10 years, sort of natural evolution, I guess, we said, well, I think it's time for us to offer uh, formal study program. And of course, our founding mission was to uh, support my father's particular approach 
down to earth, non-sectarian, non-dualistic approach to the teachings. Uh, and on the first Sunday after Labor Day is when we start our new study term, which is almost two two years of weekly meetings on Sundays afternoon and evening. Uh, they do write a rep- write a report on assigned readings and post them on uh, technology our Ning site and. Uh, and we started our programs like Blog Talk Radio, which is the server for Live Dharma Sunday. Okay. And our news, Oneness Newsletter and so forth. Uh, and so when, when we started our lay study program, I remember some people, they said, oh, that's, that's going to be difficult because people have the idea of like a mail order diploma, that kind of a thing. Um, but I wasn't concerned about that because it was a almost two year commitment. You're not going to see any fly by night people that want to get a quick diploma or certification of some kind. Okay. This is, there was some self selection filtering out of the quality of people, even though they said, oh, you're going on the internet and the web and everything, you're going to get all kind of kooks. Didn't happen. Quality of people was <clears throat> impressive. Okay. Serious, dedicated, devout truth seekers. We have over, well, I don't, I don't remember the exact count now after 14 years, but over 60, maybe over 70 uh, people who have been inducted as Brighton lay ministers. We introduced the term induction rather than ordination because we wanted to make the point that uh, different from the usual categorization of clergy and lay, you know, there's a, a deep divide or an, sort of an abyss between the two groups. Okay? And uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be. And you could see in some religions, maybe the Sikhs or the Baha'i uh, and other groups, they do not have such a strong divide between lay and clergy. Uh, and so... We said, yeah, uh, is somebody who's a real sincere truth seeker uh, discouraged from following a spiritual path because they have social responsibilities, they have a family, they have a job and so forth? Well, of course not. But that was the traditional method from long ago, the path of renunciation, to give up domestic domestic life, family life, and become an aesthetic. Uh, And that has its place. Monasteries and monks and nuns cloistering themselves, there's a place for that. But there's also a place, and that's our niche, for people, lay people, 
to become very serious, devout truth seekers. And they could share their experiences to others. Because it's a shame if we have our program and then we still adhere to, oh, well, you're, you're not real traditional clergy. Huh? So what are your qualifications? What is your status? Okay. And so, so forth. So uh, that's our niche. Okay. We don't we don't worry about that kind of status and labels and so forth. Okay. The main thing is someone's motivated to deepen their spiritual path. Welcome aboard. I recall D.T. Suzuki, who was a pioneer in introducing Buddhism uh, to the West said that there were three qualities that a person has to uh, successfully walk the spiritual path. The first quality is sincerity. The second quality is sincerity. And the third quality is sincerity. Uh, and I remember Dogen, famous, uh, let's see what century was it? 13th. 14, 15, that's a few hundred years. <laughs> he was a great spiritual teacher in Japan, and one of his favorite uh, famous quotes in answer to the question, well, what is Buddhism? And he said, Buddhism is to study the self. What is it to study the self? It's to forget oneself. What do you mean to forget oneself? What's that mean? It means to be enlightened by all things. Yeah, to be enlightened by all things. That means everyday life. Huh? It's the kind of spiritual glasses that you put on <laughs> to see the world. It's your attitude. You become, or one metaphor I sometimes use is, you become an expert gemologist. You could see diamonds in the rough. To ordinary people, or maybe they might just look like a rock. But <clears throat> maybe it's a diamond in the making. You could look around. When they say the Dharma is all around us, the Dharma teachings are all around us, you, you know. But uh, great, it's, <laughs> great teaching requires great listening. So it's not that you have to look outside to, to find a great teaching to change your life. Right. Now that has its place. And obviously we want to encourage that and you do have to look around. But you have to do so with your Dharma eyeglasses or with a sincere attitude. Because obviously if you just think about it for for a moment, you know, there could be a great teaching right in front of somebody, but if they, they're not, <laughs> they won't see it. Or maybe you look around and there's, a, you can hardly see anything of value. But if you have the right attitude, bam, you could see the Dharma in anything. And there's a lot of Buddhist stories in the literature that illustrate this. 
uh, and it's sort of like the apple falling on Newton's head, and he discovers the law of gravity and so forth. Or Archimedes, who discovers the law of displacement when he's stepping in to take his bath, and when he steps in, he sees the level of the bathwater rise up. When you're a dedicated person, whether it's as a scientist, as an artist, uh, your receptivity, your receiver, is very sensitive. Just like those big speakers out in the ocean, out in the desert that are pointed to outer space to receive some kind of a radio frequencies, you know. Uh, if you have very sensitive receiver, that's very crucial. Um, so that's part of what is the modus operandi, the method, the practice of Buddhism. Okay. And the historical Buddha always emphasized this. He said, you don't have to rely on a teacher, famous teacher. The people were, his disciples were so, you know, concerned. What happens after you die? Who's going to teach us? Who's going to lead us? He said, the Buddha said, hey, haven't you learned anything from my teachings? Let the Dharma be your teacher, bonkhead. Huh? And of course, in his famous Vulture Peaks sermon, he's up on the peak and there's thousands of people below and waiting for his message and he couldn't say a thing. He was so filled with this whole attitude of what I'm talking about. All he could see was shining faces of very receptive people. And he, could, and he couldn't find any words. Okay. Maybe that was a time when he, all he could do was hold up a flower without saying a word. <laughs> you know, all these kinds of stories in the literature, okay, making some good points. Well, 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 I'm rambling on, rambling on, which is okay. But I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today, Dave Joyo, who lives in Wisconsin. And he was part of our LM4 group. So he's going to share his Dharma glimpse with us today. Good morning. This is Dave Joyo Merrick. And my title of my Dharma glimpse is Log In, Log Off. Lessons from my computer. I will start with a quote from Reverend Kabosi's book, Everyday Suchness, and his missive on non-attachment. Non-attachment is one of the very most important teachings in Buddhism. In fact, the life of enlightenment is the way of non-attachment. Now about my computer. I have a desktop that has years, years of my work, family information, photos, and music stored on it. And I also have a robust backup drive. Because of the new Windows version, my older computer was not able to do updates, and, well, 
I needed to replace it. I've gone to a local computer shop for almost 20 years. I've purchased my desktops and my laptops from them. They just do excellent work. Well, when I got my new computer home, I set it up fully expecting all to look as it was on my old computer, and nothing was there. No files, not a zip, nothing. By this time, it was past business hours, but I called anyways and left a message, trying not to sound too worried. The rest of the evening, I was worried that, oh, at least 15 years of my data was gone. Family photographs, business files, and I began to think, oh, well, well, I can, I can pretend our house burned down and the computer was destroyed. There's nothing I could do. Or, hmm, maybe we're in a hurricane or a tornado. And I was really desperately trying to not attach. <laughs> Yet, my greatest concern, you know, really was the family photos and memories. Ah. Well, the following day, the owner of the shop called. He apologized, saying, oh, they indeed had all my data. They had just not transferred it over. He said he normally checks all this before it left, you know, the shop, but this one time he did not. Well, I was thrilled. I was such a happy camper. And this event really got me thinking about attachment because I, I was attached. So as I have often done, I, I resourced a couple books, the two Everyday Suchness and The Center Within. And I'll end by quoting Reverend Kabosi's book, The Center Within, and again on non-attachment. Non-attachment is not detachment. When you cry, cry. Crying's not bad. Tears are often beautiful. Your trouble is not that you are attached, but you are attached to the idea of non-attachment. We have to remember that non-attachment and detachment are two different things. Life is non-detachable, and we are trying to detach ourselves from it. To summarize, I feel good about mourning the loss of my day, <laughs> especially all the personal memories, and I feel better, much better that my loss was temporary. Log off, log on. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. I have indeed, indeed, uh, our Kubosa family and the Merrick family uh, go way back. Um, John Merrick, uh, this is Dave's father, was a veterinarian, and uh, many of his uncles and brothers, they were all <laughs> veterinarians, and um, and uh, the Merricks, uh, John and Carol, and uh, Dave's parents uh, had their practice in Kenosha, and uh, <clears throat> Many of the family later on moved to the Atlanta area, and uh, a lot of the siblings live there now. But uh, the family connection 
goes way back, and both my father and then later I did a lot of uh, weddings for the extended family, funerals, memorial services, and uh, uh, a connection is very precious, very warm connection. Um, uh, Whenever the topic of teaching non-attachment comes up, uh, I'm reminded of a story, true story, uh, about a disciple. I guess it's okay to call him a disciple. Maybe that's an old-fashioned word, not a modern one, but there was a disciple of my father, a young man. Uh, he was originally from the South. I don't know the the backstory, but he was a very sincere, serious student of Buddhism, and he came to Chicago uh, first for over the summer and uh, uh, saw my father every day. And, and as the years went by, he uh, uh, when I came to know him, he was in 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 Georgia the state of Georgia, and he was uh, working in the computer business, actually. And what happened is that uh, after he got married, he wasn't married that long, maybe a few years at the most. I don't remember the details. But they were in a car accident, and a drunk driver was speeding, his wife was killed, and he was laid up in the hospital, and his brother was visiting him, and and he was telling his brother, you know, gee, I'm a Buddhist, and uh, I miss my wife so much, but I'm supposed to be not attached. Uh, So his brother called my father in Chicago, told him about this situation. And my father, uh, he, he had gone to the uh, university uh, where this man had some connections and had given seminars. And also uh, my, my mom uh, taught a tea ceremony, Channel You, The Way of Tea, and he had arranged for her to give uh, uh, workshops and seminars on that. So uh, they, they they were pretty close, okay, this gentleman and my parents. So my father flew over there to Georgia and to visit this young man who felt that he wasn't a being, being a good Buddhist if he was a, missed his wife so much. And all we could say is, well, my dad would say, well, I I just have to straighten him out. And I, I, I have on driving trips, uh, I have visited this person in Georgia and, uh, uh, and I always remember, uh, that story about non-attachment it doesn't mean detachment and the, the, the tremendous uh, teaching 
as Dave Joyo said in his Dharma Glimpse today. So, and uh, log in, log off. Yeah, <laughs> the Dharma too can sometimes have technical difficulties, but we just have to keep going. And that's all for today's broadcast. So, until next time, you have a wonderful day. Thank you.